Excellence Expected, the inspirational business advice podcast. Hey, 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 welcome to Excellence Expected with me, Mr. Mark Asquith from over here in good old England. Now, can you guys remember episodes 14 and 15? They were entitled Become the Ultimate Business Person Through Systemization. And it's actually a two-parter with a good friend of mine, Mr. Ben Bowman, where we took apart his systems and the importance that those systems had on his business. It were really two fun episodes and actually two episodes that remain consistently some of the highest listened in terms of numbers throughout the entire show. So really, really interesting topic. We are actually going to revisit that topic today. We are going to dig deep into how you can create specific processes in your company and how they will help you to excel. It's a real it's a really important topic to get your head around. It's something that I personally, I've struggled with <laughs> all my career. I'm one of those guys. I'm like a wingic guy and I, you know, that's not always good. I don't want to be winging things. So processes are so, so important, but they sound so dull. I always say to the guys at Hacksaw, we need a process for this and you can see their eyes rolling and yeah, sure, we'll just, um, just got to leave. I've got a dentist appointment. I'll be back soon. You know, that's the reaction that processes get. But honestly, guys, they are so, so important. So we're going to define, challenge, and conquer processes and the impact they can have on your business. And joining me today is someone that I actually met over at Podcast Movement earlier in 2015. Uh, Podcast Movement was just such a fantastic week for me. I met so many fantastic people out there, and this chap was no exception. So it gives me great, great pleasure to welcome to the show Mr. Joe Pardo. How are you doing, sir? Yo, what's up, man? It's all good. We're uh, we're we're in England as we speak. We were talking about the time difference, and we've been rambling on for about thirty-five minutes prior to recording. We've just been having such a good time, and uh, it's amazing. Like we just spend our nights talking, podcasting, and all things geek. This is this just a fantastic way to spend a night, man. I, I well, night for you. Uh, it's only it's only two uh, thirty here, but. Yeah, man. I you know the time difference really stinks. Cause we were talking about that, like you said before the show, about like trying to uh, do live live streaming on the internet and and how in the mornings uh, on Fridays I get your uh, business. Is it your power business lunch? Small business lunch. Yeah. Small business lunch. Okay. <laughs> so when does that come through then? Uh, so that must come through like seven a.m. or something. Yeah, something something like that. It's like right around the time that I wake up, and I'm like, uh, this is too too early for for me to. To be doing this, uh, yeah, no, it's you not know, lunchtime. Now, I no, it's not. But you know, I I, I should try. I'm going to try to make an effort to uh, to swipe in uh, off my phone. I'll forgive you though. Maybe, you don't want my like the first it. thing that you see when you wake up does not want to be my face. That is not good, man. Ask my <laughs> wife; she'll tell you that. She will tell you that. So we're going to talk about processes, aren't we? And before we do, what I'd like to do is just tell the guys listening a little bit about you. Obviously, we know each other through podcasting in the world of audio goodness. But tell the rest of the guys listening a little bit about you, Joe. What is it that you do? Where do you come from? And how do you help people? Well, I hail from South Jersey, and that's Southern New Jersey, not Jersey in in England, <laughs> uh, right outside of uh, <laughs> that place called Philadelphia. You know, birthplace of America. So, 
Uh, I, I love it here. Uh, it's the suburbs. I grew actually I grew up in the house I live in. I bought it from my dad about five years ago. I wouldn't change. I mean, we've changed quite a bit in the house, but but I don't want to ever really move. I love it here. Uh, I owned uh, part of my family's business going. Uh, it was it was 30, 30 plus years. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Uh, it was in the truck parts industry. So like big heavy duty trucks. Uh, but then over the over the last like 10 years, it expanded into um, repairing trucks and brokeraging of like freight loads and uh, uh, as well as an actual trucking company where we my dad started buying up trucks and, and you know, shipping stuff from from left to right and right to left. So I left that about a year and a half ago to pursue my own career. I've always had a passion for art and writing and and just doing all this other stuff, DJing. So I uh, I started with a project called Adventuratorium, and it took it took off, and I loved doing it so much. I loved working on it so much, and then podcasting fell into my lap, and it, it opened my eyes to this idea of building an audience for all my stuff rather than just building pro like building. Um, building like music and stuff like that and then not having an audience for it. And that's when Dreamers Podcast was born. And since then, I, I have six shows. Uh, I actually host my own podcast conference here in South Jersey. Uh, I've written two books in the last year. I um, started my own school to teach people online business because of my my heavy business background as well as my heavy tech background. I've been doing computers since I was uh, just a little lad, as you would say, over there in England. <laughs> I'm not Scottish, Joe. Oh, is that, is that? Oh, is that? Oh, man. I oh, suppose right. I could get away right. with that. I am from Yorkshire. So, you know, in the grand scheme of things, we're nearer to Scotland than you are. So we're all right with that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, I just started turning everything that I love into my job and, and only doing things that I really wanted to do and do it the way that I want to do it. And uh, it so far, it's it's been really good. I mean, I'm about to finish, and I hate talking about money, but you know, so many people have beat me up for the fact that I passed up on a, you know it was a twenty million dollar a year enterprise, and okay, this year I've made twelve thousand uh, dollars, but only in the last since really since April since I wrote my first book or put out my first book have I really tried to make money. Um, but even, even with that, it's only really been in the last like three or four months. Um, and now we're recording in December. So that I've really tried pushing to, to make money. The, the, you know, building a platform has really been all what I've been trying to do. I think it's something that so many people are moving into now though. And people are seeing the benefit of building an audience before selling to them. And I think, you know, one of the big things that, that, that comes out of this generation at the minute, Joe, is that we... We need to earn the right to sell to people. It's not like it used to be. We can't just, you know, one way communicate and broadcast, shout and ball at people. You know, we need to earn the right because, frankly, they've got more choice and it's much easier to get to multiples of choice than it's ever been. So I, th I think that's a, an admirable way to build a business. Just build the platform, get the audience. And at the end of the day, they're going to trust you. So they want to buy what you're selling. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, I mean, unless you have something that they need or they really want. And and I talk about that in one of my, my first book, actually, about everything pays rent. So it has to be a necessity or it has to be facilitating uh, a need that you have. So so entertainment value or something that you need um, and it has to be in relation to how much space it takes up. So um, 
you know, if people really, really want what you have, then you're going to have a much easier time of not building an audience because the audience is going to come to you based around using other people's platforms. It still comes back to platform building. That's 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 the whole thing is is how big is the platform or, you know, and at the end of the day, if you build your own, then you're controlling your destiny there. Yeah, that's huge. That is huge. If you build your own, you're controlling your destiny. You can't you can't build on rented land. That's the big thing from that. You know, that's a big takeaway. You know, especially if you're building something on Facebook or one of the social networks that dictates how people get to your content. So I see the value in that completely. And let's talk about processes then. You know, it's obviously you've been in business for a long time and obviously very specifically online business. What led you down the path to realizing that you really need kick-ass, solid processes, something that you can rely on, that you can fall back on. Talk about that journey. You know, what, what impact has it had and how did you actually come to that understanding? So 10 years of being at the top of the company, um, you know, you, you start to realize that people are just do whatever the hell, I don't know if I can curse, but they just do whatever they want. <laughs> uh, and they'll do the, the, the path of least resistance is for them. And, you know, you... They, they just, they're just, a lot of people are just there to collect a paycheck. And, and while they might care to a certain extent, when they leave, they're not going to care. Uh, and when they come back on Monday from being away on the weekend, if there isn't a set process, then they develop their own processes without even realizing it. And a lot of times those are inefficient. Uh, so that means they cost money to the company. They can cost time uh, just on their part. It can also um, make a lot of people mad if their pro- if their process and way of doing it is way different than what everybody else is doing. So it, as much as uh, I'm all for like you know independent thinking and all that, I, I really feel that there needs to be a process. And with that sa- with all that said, uh, goes back to independent thinking. You can break the rules and you should break the rules. But at the end of the day, there has to be rules. There has to be a way of doing things. And and you can make ex- exceptions and stuff like that as long as that's not the norm. Because otherwise, everyone's always breaking the rules. They're always doing whatever it is that they feel is the best to do. And, and that creates uh, a, a headache for so many people. And hopefully, hopefully, it's not causing a headache for your customers. Because uh, if, if, if those, you know, these... Uh, employees are doing whatever they feel is the best way. Well, I've been doing it this way for so and so long, and and we can get into to to that working with people to try to get them to do something else. Because I have um, one of the last big things I did at the company before I departed was revitalize the inventory control um, and took power away from to a certain extent, took it away from the managers and the employees and gave it to the computer because the computer knows when somebody bought something last. A person doesn't have a great uh, representation of time, so things slip away. You know, it's like, oh yeah, I saw I saw Mark last month. Well, actually, according to the computer, he was here three or four months ago. Where's he been? Why hasn't the customer come back in? And and so on and so forth. I hope I'm not bouncing around too much, Mark. No, I like that. I mean, that that, that idea of uh, taking the control away from from you know, obviously, people are the uh, <laughs> the fall guys in that story, but. The idea behind it is very, very sound, and that is keeping a very rigid look at what keeps a company moving, what keeps a company moving forward and keeps it running and keeps it, more importantly, running profitably and effectively and efficiently. Because I think, you know what it's like, 
we we <laughs> we all have businesses that we've built, and especially for for you guys listening out there, you know, you may be a owner manager, you may be a solopreneur, you may be a two to three person operation. How many of those processes, how many of those customers do you know? And everything about them is just stored in the head. When someone says, how do you know that? You just tap on your temple with a knowing glance. And, you know, that's just the way it is. It's just the way we operate. So, no, Joe, I think think the examples are perfect. And the idea is that, you know, you you can automate things, you can create processes for things that you don't always feel you can. You know, that idea that... All of this stuff that we take for granted, we can still probably make better. And I think that's the power of processes for me. You spot where things aren't perhaps as good as they could be. When you started to implement that, so when you implemented you know, that change from the human side into the more automated computer side, what effect did it have on the business? Well, uh, it was we were running about $5.8 million in inventory across the company. And within a year, we were down to about three million dollars in inventory um the old school way of thinking was oh well if you have inventory it always looks good you know the the shelves are full and uh you know the bank is happy because you have inventory and uh and i my my idea you know to me is like yeah that's that's great but if the inventory doesn't sell if you're not getting a return on investment if you're not turning the inventory over um that's that's not good and and we were doing you know we were still cranking out like you know lots of dollars and sales and all that stuff but we were we were running into a really real problem of like well we have a lot of stuff that's just sitting around not not selling and um the cash flow was was choking because of uh the trucking industry at the time uh because everybody had bought new trucks in i think it was 2012 or 2013 there was a new regulation and and everybody had to um started buying these new trucks. So if they were buying new trucks, they'd had very little reason to go buy uh, as many parts to fix those trucks. And we were just, you know, everything was just bad, right? Plus 2012 wasn't a great year um, uh, financial wise either, like in in the US economy. So, because still rebounding from 2008. But but the point is, is uh, you... You could you could look like you have it's I guess it's like the appearance of of like kind of like faking it till you make it. Oh, we have all this inventory, but like how much of it is just sitting on the shelf? It's gathering dust. The boxes are way outdated. Like they're, you know, the boxes falling apart or 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 yellowing. Uh the part still works just fine because it's it's steel, but you know, it's like it hasn't sold. So uh what what we were able to do was we we worked off a hub and spoke system. So the hub was the central warehouse to nine locations that we would ship out out to uh, from the hub, from the hub warehouse. And the problem was was nobody would ever send any inventory back. They would do um, they would do these these returns, but the problem was the returns were based on what people at the comp- at that store or at the main location at the hub thought they should have based on their min the minimum they should have in stock, the maximum they should you know, the maximum they should have on the shelf in each of those locations. Well, the way we were doing it was we we would print out um, hundreds of sheets of paper <laughs> with uh, the numbers and the and the stats for the year and, and all that. And we would make these these changes manually on paper and then go into the computer and fix each one by hand. And some of these lines had, you know, 10,000, 20,000 part numbers. Now, we didn't sell or stock every single one of those part numbers, but but it would it was what would print out 
Uh, and, and we and I think there was a way to do it where it didn't have to print out ones that um, showed in stock. But but I think there was a compromise where if it didn't if it showed it in stock, uh, but it, it and it had sales. I don't know. There was some kind of complex way where it, it's like it it wasn't giving you just what you wanted. It was always giving you more than what you wanted or too little versus too much. So um, a long time ago, like ten years ago, I had talked to my grandfather. I said, "Hey." Why don't you know the computer system we have has um, a min max built into it, where like a like a changing system where it could calculate all that stuff for you. And he, you know, he was always like, "Well, it, you know, you need two wiper blades, right? You, you, you're not going to do very good if you only, you know, because the way the numbers break down, you only have one wiper blade on the shelf when the customer comes in for two or uh, or two. You know, you need you should have at least two headlight bulbs." But there was no way to like program that in the system. Well, with my background in computers and understanding how how code works and all that, I was able to sit down with my with with our computer company and say, okay, here's what we were looking for, and here's the changes that I need made to this program. They hadn't updated it in a long time, but we were able to make that change, and I was able to run the program so that it was updating those minmaxes automatically, and then we sent out returns to those those uh, spoke stores and what they what would happen is they sent um, they would send their inventory back and now uh, I can talk about this a little bit afterwards but they would send their inventory back and then we recycled that inventory back out to the stores that actually needed that inventory like that those specific partners whether they you know maybe their minmax wasn't set high enough or maybe it was set um you know, too high and it brought it down. So then they returned some, but they kept some on the shelf because they still had a need for it, but they didn't need 10 of them on the shelf because they're only selling maybe one a month. Why do we need 10, you know, and then replenishing based upon that, that number as well. So it was a lot of nights uh, spent here at the how at my house, uh, working out the best numbers to, you know, the best numbers to put into the, to the algorithm to figure all this out. Uh, and then on the on the on the flip side, that's when the um, I was like, okay, look, because I obviously we were getting a lot of pushback because the manager's like, well, I've been working here twenty years, I know what sells, I know you know, I blah blah blah. The computer doesn't know, uh, I, and and my argument was that numbers don't lie when it comes to how many have you sold. Uh, so the no, we we had to, I had to work pretty hard to figure out to get the right combination of numbers to put into the algorithm to get the right answers. But at the end of the day, and this is what I mean by you can break the rules is I told them like, Hey, look, if it's asking for a whole bunch of these back and you want to at least keep one on your shelf, even though the computer is saying that you shouldn't keep any on your shelf, keep one on your shelf. I was like, just send me the nine back. Keep, keep one. That's fine. But you don't need 10 to sell one, maybe every two or three or four months. That was one of the uh, the interesting points you mentioned there about the buying, about the buying of the staff, of the team, of the people around you, whether you're a smaller business and you're sort of working with co-directors, whatever that might be. That buying is vital. You've got to present the facts, present the figures, almost pitch that. And I wanted to talk about that a bit further. How did you go about, yes, in that example, obviously you've got the facts, you've got the figures, but let's talk culturally. Let's talk you know, a little bit more long-term. How do you ensure that a process is maintained? And number two, how do you, how do you ensure that the next time you want to roll something out, 
you're not met with the same type of resistance. So how do you keep that longevity across? That's why I bundled the two questions together. How do you keep that longevity? Oh man, you know, I learned a lot from that experience. And I mean, I'm I'm not very um I mean, I'm 29 now and when I was going through this, I was, you know, 26 trying to tell people that were, you know, 45, 50 years old like what what to do. And and to me, it's it's about doing what's right versus doing um you know, like, hey, I'm going to come in and change the system and it's going to be awesome because it's me and it's it's what I want to do because I'm going to put my footprint on, you know, on this uh, new territory that we're we're exploring here. Um, you know, it was it was met with a lot of lot of backlash um, and, and, and and rightfully so. Some of the backlash you, you, you what you need to do. There's two things you need to do. One is you know, turn it up slowly. Um, in my case, I, I did not feel that we, we had the time to, to be, to be slow, uh, because our ideal inventory value should have been around two and a half million. And we were at 5.8 and it was, it was crippling our company. Um, so to me, I was like, okay, this I see the right way. I see what's go like I see what's going on. I, I know that it's not perfect what I have to offer yet. It, it's going to, you know, it's going to take time uh to play out. Uh, but let's go hard and fast with it. And and you know, it was met with a lot of yelling <laughs> uh on both on both ends of it. Now, keep in mind, even though it, it was a twenty million dollar year enterprise um made up of five companies, uh it's still a family owned business. So this isn't corporate culture uh, that that some of you may be where where if you yelled or they yelled, uh, people would just be fired. That's that wouldn't that's not going to happen there. <laughs> that's not going to happen there. Um, so it, it's a little bit different, and and I think you know. So what you need to do is you need to turn it up slowly, uh, and and make changes as you go along. But the other thing is is to really listen. One of the most important things that came out of it. Uh, was was trying to figure out how to go about incorporating that whole, um, you know, we need a minimum of this because you can't sell one wiper blade. You know, you need to have at least two uh, in stock. So, and obviously I don't care. Like, even if they were only selling one, because that was my argument was, well, you only sold one here, one here, one here, one here. Why are you telling me that you only sell it in pairs? Um, that was my big argument against doing anything like that because I again I was trying to get it as lean as possible um, and that you know but at the end of the day even if we had two on the shelf it still was a huge improvement over what what we were doing before so keeping in mind and I mean I, I preach a lot about perspective and and being able to view it from other people's perspective but but one of the main uh detractors you know really helped me in that sense where he you know he put his foot down at a point where it's like okay well we can't move forward without this because we don't want to lose this person uh in our company and and it really pushed me to to go and figure out okay like let's let let's go back to the drawing board on this algorithm and how do we go about adding in like a you know a what if statement into it if if that makes sense to, to people who aren't programmers but uh 
you know, it's it's important it's important to listen to those people, and uh, they might not always be right, but you might be able to to use some of what they have to say because they are on the fr- especially if they're on the front line and not just um, dictating from their memory or their experience. One of the big things that I, I took from that particular, well, the two things actually that stood stood out to me. The first one was pragmatism. You know, being really pragmatic on this and your approach of going in there and saying, well, listen, guys, the facts tell me this, and then marrying that with the real life, the experience. That's where you hit the real gold. You know, that's where you hit the perfection because you're seeing things, as you mentioned, from all sorts of different angles and perspectives. But not only that, what you're doing is you're allowing yourself to optimize this. So yes, of course you put processes in place, but actually these things have got to be flexible. They're there to serve the business. You aren't there to serve them. The business is not there to serve them. And then the other thing that you said, which really stood out to me was this idea of baselines. You know, what What do we need from this? What Actually, what are we trying to achieve? Because it's very easy to come up with processes and almost become a little bit too addicted to efficiency and really want to push that forward and get it out and optimize, you know, quote unquote, optimize absolutely everything. And you mentioned, as I said, the baselines, the idea of, okay, here's what we need. This is what we need to be able to run this. And we must have that. And I think that personally, I feel that's the key to success with with any kind of process. You mentioned around the what is statement. You know, you don't have to be a programmer. Actually, when you consider that, it can be a simple sales process. You know, it's a really small grocery. It can be what happens if the customer gives me a five and I've not got any change. What happens if I get a 10? You know, that this this kind of contingency and the way that you've structured these things, this is what I really like about processes is that they can scale using the same principles all of the time. You don't have to be a Microsoft or an Apple. You can implement processes right at the lowest level. And I feel that, that personally, Joe, I think that's one of the biggest problems that small business owners have is that if they're three to four to five people as an organization, we're too small for processes. We don't need processes. We, you know, John over there knows this and Lucy over there knows that. And that's fantastic. What, what if they're sick? Exactly. You, know, you have to be able to plug people in. And, and that's one of those things where it's like, you know, some of our stores only had one or two people working inside the store. I mean, we might have a driver and, and like a delivery driver and, and a sales guy, but like there might only be one or two people on the counter interacting with the customer. And so like our vice president would have to go or, or one of our other, um, you know, managers would have to go to these other stores. And it's like, okay. Well, I don't, you know, then the customer comes in and say, well, did they order this? You know, did I, I, did, do they have my order? Like they said it was going to be here Tuesday. Well, it's Tuesday. Well, well, Bob's not here on Tuesday because he's sick. Okay. So now you got Jim here at the counter and Jim's like, well, hold on. And he's like rummaging through, you know, papers and, and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, there was no, that was another big process that, that I, I put in was, and, and with my tech background is I, I like to find cheap or free ways of doing things. So um, there was a program, shout out to uh, th- this program called Task Freak, which we, we ca- I kind of manipulated the code a little bit to, it's a totally free, it's a task, um, task manager. And I manipulated the code so that we could track our orders within the company. So like, if, again, if, if Jim's out, then, you know, Bill can go in there and say, okay, yeah, I go, go right on the, on the, on the system and boom there. That's what your, your order um, is actually won't be here till tomorrow because something they didn't, I didn't get the confirmation till a day later. 
So, so something to that effect. I mean, that that kind of stuff is really important because, like, you know, pe- people are ha- clinging to those PO books. Oh, gotta have the PO books, and I'm like, dude, PO books are like, I don't know, I- I'm just making it up, but like ten dollars a piece, and there isn't that many pages in them, and they're not very effective if you're just like shoving them into your, you know, into your drawer or something like that for someone to go like, oh, Jim's sick today, so gotta go and like rummage through his drawer to find out what the heck he, you know, ordered for this customer. Where is it? What, you know, what manufacturer did he use when he placed the order? Cause we might have three or four different manufacturers. He could have placed it with all that information should be in one place. And that, that's why I was like, Oh, well let's, let's get it. Now getting people to use it was a whole nother, you know, uh, a whole nother thing. But I liked your example of the cashier with about the $5, the, you know, Oh, I need change for a five or I need a $5 bill for change. Um, if, if there's no process, then, you know, whoever's taking that money is like, oh, let me just ask the next five people in line. Hey, who has change for a 10 versus, okay, well, what's the process? Okay. Well, I'm supposed to go back to customer service. Customer service should have it. Okay. Customer service doesn't have it. Then maybe there's a third, you know, a second step. If not, then you just start asking people who's got change for a 10. (laughs) Well, the, the, the great thing with, with process as well, I often feel is that, you mentioned about plugging people in, but when you turn that around, the people that you're plugging in, it empowers them. You know, the first six months of a new job, frankly, you know, it's very difficult. You know, they can be so tough. You're assimilating into a new group of people, picking out... Habit forming. Yeah, exactly. Completely, completely. And it becomes really tough at times. And processes are there to be a parachute. They're there to be a safety net. You can fall back on them. And if you do follow them, if you stick to them, you can achieve very complex things very well to a very high standard, which that's going to make you feel good. You know, competence that comes through confidence. And the only way to get confidence in so many things like this is to know exactly what you're doing and when you're doing it. So I think there's, there's a lot to be said about even the most simplest of, of, of processes. I discovered a tool recently called Process Street, um, which is it's, it's much more around small business and very specific you know, kind of a process book, if you like, you know, you walk up to the shelf and here's my customer retention process when someone wants to cancel or here's my new sales process if someone has this type of card payment. You know, it's, it's, it's for that kind of process. But man, it can change your life. Just having a process book is such a powerful thing. Oh, I agree. Like an employee handbook, but not everybody wants to take the time to write that employee handbook. You know, what's the steps of what they should be mm-hmm. doing or could be doing and, and defining the job. You know, again, people can break the rules. Um, you know, if Sally in accounting isn't supposed to be doing stuff for if she's only supposed to be doing accounts payable stuff and all of a sudden accounts receivable is out for like a week or something like that. Um, they need to, know, you know, she needs to know how to step into the role. And again, you could break the rules that and I'd be breaking the rules because you're breaking that that job title because you very specifically put out like, OK, this is what your job is. Um, but, th- you know, everybody has to sometimes pitch in more. But you got to have the you got to have the rules to start. You can't break rules that there's no rules to break. <laughs> Well, that is a very good point, actually. Yeah, that is a very good point. And, you know, the word rules comes with connotations of, of well, all sorts of Machiavellian practices and, you know, that that whole kind of, you know, traditional, I hate the word traditional, but that kind of, quote, unquote, <laughs> traditional appearance of a boss. Um, but at the end of the day, businesses need to do business and they need to do it efficiently and they need to keep optimizing that. So I don't think there's anything wrong with keeping that moving forward, you know, with continually moving the process and shifting them and optimizing them 
And even if you're the creator, this is a big thing. Even if you're the creator of the process, not letting that dictate your attitude to change because you know, oh, it's my baby. I created it this way. It's the best way to do it. You've really got to be open to that conversation, haven't you? Yeah, you got to constantly be questioning everything you do when it comes to business. And that was actually one of my videos I just put out recently was, you know, you, you can't fear change um, in business, but you, you know, you just you question everything. Like when people are like so many times, not just in, in the businesses that I've I've worked in, but with other businesses, I, I always ask the question like, well, wait, why is it that you're doing it that way? Like, why are you printing out every, you know, every single email and then like, or every single um, invoice, have you thought of, like, is, why are you doing that? What are you doing with the paperwork afterwards? Can you just maybe print them to a PDF file, have them, and then sort them later? What's the step that you're, you know, why is it that you have, like, why is it that you have to print them out, write on them, and then file them or, or rescan them? Maybe there's a there's you know stay that's why staying on top of technology and questioning what what's the cap, you know capabilities that you have with what you with with what you have in front of you is important you know maybe you can use a program to write what you were gonna write after you printed it out so then you're you're not wasting paper you're not and that's as an IT guy paper ink and you know paper and ink being wasted is is ugh, it just crawls up my skin. <laughs> Um, <laughs> are you a, you're one of those like, guys that operates a paperless office, the fabled paperless office? Cl- close. You know, I try to be close to it. I, I really didn't print uh, anything I didn't have to print, absolutely have to print. If I could print it to a PDF or print it to a text file, make the edits, mm. and then re- reprint it as a PDF file, like straight to a PDF file, then I would. And that's, you know, to me, that's really important because we would spend a ton of money on, on paper. And I know now that I'm not over there, I know that they're printing everything. <laughs> You know, and, and as it's the, the greatest thing, and, and it's all the business owners, you know, I get this from HR, I get this from other people, and they're, I was like, why do you print this email? And they're like, paper trail, got to keep a paper trail, everything. And I'm like, that's great until Mr. Fire comes along and takes away your paper trail. I was like, so why don't we work on ways to make it so that everything, because everything's already backed up off site anyway, why don't we work on uh, concentrating on not creating that quote unquote paper trail and instead uh, maybe I'll, we'll have a, a, a better local way. And by local, I mean on the computer, on the ser- like on a computer server relation uh, of, of accessing that type of information rather than Mr. Paper Trail that could just burn up tomorrow. You realize we need and isn't secure. We need to make a video of Mr. Paper Trail and Mr. Fire fighting it out. <laughs> yes, yes, and and again, this is this this is the kind of stuff that I think about when because I I marry that that technology background with the business background, and instead and and not in a way that like you know I'm a tech startup or something like that. Um, it's it's just you know building processes for for everything. To make you know, you utilizing technology to the fullest and the cheapest because you don't have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars to make these kinds of technical processes. Well, that's the beauty of the world we live in. That's the thing. Everything has become so cheap in terms of uh, you know IT infrastructure and cloud and everything that everything that people take for granted and see as buzzwords genuinely do make life easier. That's the kind of catch-all statement for that one, I think. So, Joe, fantastic chat, really, really good chat. So, what we're going to do now is switch gear a second. We're going to move into the famous excellence expected actionable takeaways section. So, for people who you know, maybe like myself a few years ago, see processes, the big bad rules, you know, and creating them, 
they're reserved for people that are much bigger than we are. Let's talk about how to get these guys kick-started with process. So I know you've put together three superb actionable tips. So let's dig into actionable tip number one, please, sir. Let's see. Identify inefficiencies. Uh, you know, what, like another thing to go along with the printer example we were just using was everybody saying, I got to have a printer in my office. There has to be one at my desk. It's like, okay, well, how many ink cartridges do we have to buy? And then, there, you know, how often are those just sitting there idly versus if we just have one or two or even three printers for the whole office to use at a central location? Because God forbid somebody has to get up off their desk for, you know, 10 seconds. Now, if they have a ton of printing to do, like if that's, you know, if it's unavoidable for their job, then maybe you should get, a, you know, a smaller printer for them. Uh, like at one of those HP, like I think the old the older number was like 2050s or something, 2055s or something like that, um, laser jets versus like having the big behemoth ones. Um, I think now it's like the M401s. But yeah, have a, versus having the big behemoth one, like, oh, we well, don't have to get a big one. Now, it, if you're going to do that, uh, maybe get the same smaller printer for everyone. Like in our case, I had the set smaller one that I bought for all of the locations to print their invoices. Uh, and then at the and, and as well as the uh, warehouse and as well as one or two people who had to print like checks right at their desk where they didn't want to be printing those checks out, you know, out in the main office. So, you know, th- figuring out the best way um, and the most cohesive way uh, and um, I guess cohesive. I don't know if that's the right word, but the the, the best way to ke- keep the experience the same. And in that case, you're buying one uh in cartridge and that for for all the smaller printers so you're buying you know 10 of the same and then you're buying one or two for for the bigger you know the bigger ones that you have in the office i think you've got to be quite open and honest with that as well and actually be very when it comes down to process inefficiencies you know where things could just be better and save money that's something that's a little less tangible you've got to be really honest with that you've got to you've got to step up and identify them but also be really frank with yourself and say, you know what, guys, actually, we could do this a little better. And I think that's a difficult thing when it's not a physical process, you know, when it's not something that is put the printer on the desk, when it's something that is, you know what, guys, if we just got back to people six hours earlier, you realize that we'd save ourselves three emails later because of people complaining. You know, those kind of theoretical inefficiencies that you don't always see, that becomes really, really difficult. So I I find that quite a challenge in small business. So yeah, really interesting point there. Identify inefficiencies. Super. Let's dig into actionable tip number two. Be fearless to put a plan into action and adjust as needed. So, you know, like, like in the example with, with the inventory thing, like I thought that, you know, I had hit a home run right out of the gate and it took a while to, to, to get to that point. But then, you know, as much as I fought people, uh, on the idea that, you know, well, maybe, you know, if you're saying that you sell two all the time, you know, as a pair, maybe you're not. And according to the computer, you're not, you're only selling one, you know, how did you sell three that month? If you, you know, stuff like that. So you, you need to be, you need to be fearless in going and putting that plan into action. But at the same time, you need to be willing to, to adjust. And that's something that I personally had to learn as a young you know, as a young man in in business and trying to um, push everybody into one, you know, in, into the system. But at, at the end of the day, the system worked. Uh, it worked really well to the point where some people weren't so upset about their inventory. And now, 
and and this is this is the fun part is um a year and a half later now that the that that specific part of the company the parts company has been bought by a bigger conglomerate they're like a Walmart of truck parts the complaints are through like I get a lot more complaints that I hear from friends that I'm you know people I'm still friends with from the company about their inventory issues even though they're a multi-billion dollar company and we were you know nowhere near a billion that's very curious that is very very curious now there's something that you said about about being flexible early on and I <laughs> I got the point about being a young man in business I, I remember being 26 and you know that I was right, man. I was right. Screw the world. I was right. I, I, <laughs> I knew what I was doing. And that is a very humbling experience when you finally see that what you what you put out there with the input of other people is often better. And and I'm you know, I'm talking very often better than what you could put out there yourself. That is a very humbling experience. And I think when it comes to processes, there's something quite important in that insofar as if you're if you're in small business, it's very, you very often take certain things for granted. So these little bits of detail that you just pass off as completely unimportant because you just do them. You, these are just things that you do. It's very difficult to actually get these things down. The reason I know that, and I'm going to take this right down to grassroots level. I, I actually I actually put together a process for my podcast publishing so that when I'm away, someone can help me do it you would not believe how much I took for granted. I, like it took me, it takes me about 45 minutes to publish one episode. It took me about three hours to do it whilst I was writing it all down because it was all of the little bits of detail that I took for granted. But now I'm pretty confident that anyone could come in and do that. So I would say that that kind of the humility around being honest about what you skip over, the humility and getting other people involved. I think that's an important lesson to learn for everyone. And I think the youth, <laughs> the youth factor that you mentioned there is quite interesting. So as I say, I, you know, I piss so many people off being a young upstart. And uh, <laughs> when I look back now and the people that I still know that I did piss off, they're like, well, you've, uh, you've grown. And I'm like, yeah, that you don't have to be kind anymore. You know, <laughs> to say that you've grown is the same as saying you don't piss me off anymore. Thank you, you know. So it's kind of it's kind of cool to see that, and the idea of adjusting and tweaking and changing and optimizing. I think it's important to just stay on top of that. So yeah, a bit of a digression into a a tale of woe there, but I think it's a good point. So super stuff, right, sir? Let's dig into the third and final actionable tip, please. Give people a little more time than you would normally give them of your time. And I think that goes really well into what we've been talking about and uh, being able to, to listen uh, not only, you know, and, and, and with passionate people, we, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard to want to hear other people, other people's input and stuff like that. And not even necessarily critiquing or, or being mean about it, but just, you know, it's like, hey, they're not always trying to just down you or down your idea, um, especially if they're coming at it from a place where they're giving you the, you know, some of the answers that they that you don't realize you're necessarily, like, you don't even realize that you're looking for. Um, so it's you know being able to to listen to those people, but but giving them more time too, like in just in general, being you know nicer to people and giving them just a little bit more time than you would. Uh, you would think to or or normally would 
is is important. You know, getting to hear other people's back, you know, background stories or or just stories in general. You, you learn so much. I mean, it's how I've learned so much. And while like, obviously I'm not perfect because uh, I had the experience that I had that that led to uh, ultimately me leaving the company. Um, you know, it, it's it, it can be difficult to to listen to other people when when you're when you're wearing your uh, heart on your sleeve as they say as i've done uh pretty much all of my life <laughs> yeah i'm with you on that one again man I, i'm the same kind of person it's often the people that you work most closely with you know you, you you sort of just take for granted that they'll be there the next day to listen to you and to kind of take you you know take what you're saying on board but do you know what the thing that gets me with this josh the interesting point that you make is that this sounds really odd to say but it <laughs> It's kind of weird because you often don't think of people as people with experiences. You see them as obstacles to what you want to get out of this conversation. And it's really bizarre because you then discount what they say before you've even heard what they've said. And it, that's a real big lesson to be able to just say, well, again, it's back to humility. You know, and people, you guys out there may be thinking, well, why does this link to processes? Well, the key thing is that everyone has that input and the more time you give people the more you'll discover about their skills their experience their expertise their desires the needs that you know what drives them the why yeah the why they want the why they did it the way they did for so long exactly and you're just like i want to rip that away from you and it's like no that's what makes it comfortable and it's like yeah i get that but we all want a job tomorrow right if 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 we all if we fail at this at the you know at changing the company changing the culture um, for the right reasons, and and not just because the I want to reasons, um, th- then we don't have a company to go to tomorrow, and, and then then that's a real big problem. You know, that's a bigger problem than you know. Oh, I don't get to um, you know set my own min maxes anymore. Well, no, but you can keep whatever you want. You can order whatever you want. Hell, you can order more of what you want now because all the other stuff we're we're ripping from you. That's a really good point. You know, the idea of um what is is really back to what you said earlier about that whole um, culture. You know, you mentioned the word culture and the way that people perceive processes, the way that people often dive into things. And you see it very often in kind of middle management and, and especially in, in the UK kind of public bodies where people come in and just want to change things because they want to put the stamp on them. The cultural impact that that has, you know, when you think about yourself creating a process across the board that actually, you know, genuinely changes someone's day either in a very small way or in a very significant way, but you're actually changing that person's day. And that day, it may have been like that for the last 20 years. And they're very, very happy with that. So that the, the, the way that you see things, it's not always as black and white as it appears at first glance. And I think, you know, the why that you mentioned earlier on, the you mentioned on, in the pre-interview chit-chat that we were talking about, you like to see things as a whole, you know, seeing things, as a whole, not just this isolated process is huge because just this one ripple here can change things over there so, so profoundly that you, you've got no idea that you've changed something. It, it's so unbelievable to kind of sit in this silo, isn't it? 
It is. It is. And you have to be willing to uh, to get out of the, the tower, you know, and come down. And, and one of the things I, I didn't mention when we were doing all that inventory change, you know, changeover to, to a leaner inventory was the reason I was doing all these these numbers and, and crunching and all that stuff and analytics at night was because during the day I was in the warehouse putting the stuff back on the shelf and then helping pull it off the shelf to go and, and some of it to be returned to the manufacturers, which was something that my grandfather didn't believe in because he his idea was, well, if I have it on the shelf, and I, he, there's a picture of him staring at me from my wall right <laughs> <laughs> right behind the camera here. Um, if he had it on the shelf and it cost him you know, $20 when he bought it and then he had it on the shelf for three years and the price had gone up to $27, the pro, you know, his price had gone up too. He made more money on it, but he didn't. I guess what he didn't understand was that everything, you know, in my in my book, I talk about is everything pays rent, and it's really important for it to be a need or a uh, a you know paying in entertainment. And in this case, uh, the need would be for it to make money. Is so to get it on the shelf, to get it off the shelf. Otherwise, it's just taking up space that could be you know something else that's paying rent could be could be there instead yeah it's a good it's a good way to think about it as well you know the, the work that we do with manufacturing companies at the agency we often see we work alongside people that are in there trying to do the same kind of thing and it's just a mindset thing it's just a you know maybe a generational thing it's but it's certainly a mindset issue that just crops up so so often but uh, that is a superb to stick a pin in this actually Joe, i could talk to you all day sir i could talk to you all day the the, the missus right back at you mark missus a would go crazy if uh, if i did do that because i think she wants to watch jessica jones tonight have you been watching that uh no that's the marvel thing oh, right? it's pretty cool it's uh, like i'm a comic book geek you guys listening you know i'm a dc guy but oh don't please don't tell my mum. but i'm watching a marvel tv show and i'm loving it <laughs> No, I don't. I don't watch much TV, man. I, I, uh, there's like a handful of shows. One of them being Shark Tank, uh, and and South Park and Tosh Point are pretty much the three, the three shows that I'll watch, and I download them after the fact. Yeah, so. man, I'm like that. I'm, thing is, like we we completely got rid of the TV. You know, you buy the TV packages like Sky TV. I don't know what you guys have over there. Kirby. You're here, man. Yeah, Comcast. Yeah, that similar sort of thing. You know, I, we wound it all down because of Netflix and so on. We don't. I'm the same as you. We watch like three shows, but I had a reflection point yesterday because I turned <laughs> I turned on my TV, and it was uh, the things that I watched. So I had like it shows on the Apple TV the covers of things and it was Jessica Jones by Marvel it was Arrow the Flash Supergirl and then Smallville and I just looked at the missus and just said listen I think you've married a bit of a geek loser I'm sorry to break this to you right now <laughs> and uh, yeah I just, you know it's unbelievable really. but this is another thing like this is just I know we're digressing but this is something that is changing the world this whole on demand culture like how the heck do you deal with that in the in in everything it's changing the way we work it's changing everything you know, it's funny. I just ordered, you mentioned that. I, I just ordered my groceries uh, and they were just delivered to, to me for the first time today. Oh, man. You're living the life, dude. I know. I know, man. And I was talking to the guy um, that was here and I was like, you know, my dad was ordering groceries online back in like 2004. And then I guess they, it's not very profitable. So they just stopped doing it. But a couple of the, the supermarkets around here have decided to, to keep it going. And and the reason, and he was telling me this, is because the owner, or I guess the son of the owner, is coming up, and he sees the future of having groceries delivered to you. Now, it is like a $16 charge to do that, but when you're ordering $150 worth of stuff anyway, 
you know, what's what's another fifteen, sixteen dollars if, if for the convenience of not having to go to the store, not spend the gas, not spend the time, the effort, all all that. So, you know, and my wife was worried because she's like, Oh, well, you know, the produce, you know, how do I know they're gonna pick the right looking apples or the right looking lemons or <coughs> excuse me, anything like that? And I was like, I don't know, let's give it three chances. We'll see how it goes. And you know, if the average of the three isn't good enough, then we'll, we'll go back. But, you know, between that and ordering on Amazon, like, I was like, you know, we could probably... And, oh, and the other good thing is, is ordering online, they put all the sale items right at the top. So she was able to save a bunch of money that she wouldn't have probably saved otherwise. It's the way to crush Christmas shopping as well. You don't have to cope with the crowd. You just do it all on... Oh, man, I love it. I love the age that we live in. Love the age. Now, now wait. Let, I have to say this, though, before, before we get off it, is... Uh, it, you know, it's important. It's important. Like, I love, we all love online shopping. The benefit is obvious, right? But there's still a lot to be said for going out to a store. And the reason is, is if I stop going, I don't know if you have Home Depot over there. Yeah, we've got similar your, kind of things. Okay. So if I don't go to Home Depot, if I ordered everything I would probably, or almost everything I would order on Home at Home Depot, um, if I ordered just, just ordered it on Amazon, the problem is I'm ripping sales away from a from my local economy because it's it's just like one town over, and b the convenience of when I actually need something today right now. Now once Amazon gets on their whole droid or dro- drone you know dropping thing, and and it's same day delivery everywhere or at least in my area, that's going to be a game changer. But for right now, like I still do, excuse me, like going out to the store. Um, because I like to support that store being in my backyard for those times when I need it now, not a day or two days from now. Yeah, that's a good point. And you mentioned drones. I, I think you, you mistakenly said droids, but now I want droids to be delivering everything. <laughs> it is the, it's the week of Star Wars. So we're recording this 14th of December, 2015, and uh, it is the week of Star Wars. So the Force Awakens. So droids are on our minds Yes. Boom. I've got a midnight showing for that, you know. <laughs> oh, sweet, man. I, uh, I, you know, honestly, I, and, and this is going to make me sound like a shut-in, but I don't like going out to the movies anymore. Um, and I might go see Star Wars out in the theaters. We only go to maybe two or three movies a year at this point because we have a really awesome movie theater right in our, well, it, it should be like a family room. I don't know if you have the equivalent of a family room in your, in, in England. We have kind of like um, uh no, we just call that like a small little living room. <laughs> well, we have a living room. We have a living room, but then we have like a separate. It used to be a pool table room that uh, my dad left a pool table in there. I got. I was like, we never play with it. It's it's this room. It's got hardwood floors in it. It's always cold in there. I was like, I don't. It's not warm. It's not inviting. <laughs> and the the pool table takes up almost the whole room anyway. So I was like, you know, let's let's put a movie theater room together. So I, I've you know, put together a really awesome movie theater room and, you know, being able to pause the movie, especially with my wife being pregnant, you know, being able to pause the movie to go to the bathroom is kind of important. Oh man, you become spoiled. That's it. You'll never leave the house again. Wait until the drones kick in, man. You will never leave the house. I love it. I'm worried. I don't want to be the old man. That's like, get off my lawn and I'm not going anywhere though. It's an unsafe. You know, I don't want to start watching Fox news. Well, I don't even have cable to be able to watch Fox news, but you know, I don't want to be scared. I'm not scared of the world at all, but at the same time, like, 
the the whole goal is to be home more, you know, with the and that, and that's one of the things um for for going back into actual business talk. Uh one of the important things to me was and I, I you hear a lot of people talk about, you know, you don't want to trade dollars for hours or hours for dollars and and in some cases I do, but you know, it's important to to realize why you're doing something. Right. So, so to me, it's like, Hey, I want to be a speaker. I want to write books. I want to, you know, produce DJ albums. I like I have, um, I want to do all these creative things. I'm creating a next year. 2016 is the year of my card game. I have a, a party card game I'm going to be developing. So, Oh man, we should change your name to Joe Cardo. Uh, <laughs> well, Hey, we'll, we'll see when, when the game gets done. Uh, that's a free one. <laughs> That's a free one. Thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate that, Mark. But, you know, the goal is is to be home, especially with with a, with our first daughter on the way. Um, I know a lot of these these speakers and stuff like that, and they're they're traveling all over the world and doing all this stuff. But I'm like, I, like, I, I want to travel over the world, but I don't want to be away from my family. Like, the whole reason I'm doing what I'm doing is so that I could spend more time, have a flex, more flexible schedule. I mean, right now I work between 10 and 15 hours a day, uh, pretty much seven days a week. You know, some days I'll take a couple hours off, usually like Sunday nights to watch American football, not, not <laughs> European football. Uh, and and But other than that, like, I'm Saturdays I'm working at least half a day, Um but point is, is I'm building towards what I building what I want, how I want it on my terms versus, you know, hustling to get clients like lots and lots and lots of clients or hustling to get a bunch of uh, talks like, you know, when you're trying to get into this online space, uh, you need to be able to do multiple things. You you know, you could focus in on one uh, and hopefully you'll crush it at that one thing and make enough money that that's all you have to do. But I don't like. I don't want to be stuck at an airport. I don't want to have to be like. Well, I know it's um, our baby. Our baby's name is going to be Ava. Well, I know it's Ava's birthday coming up. Uh, but I have to go speak. I have to. I, I have to go speak. So I have to travel. Uh, you know, three or four days to and be away. Yeah, I, I, hear and you I don't have that. a choice. It's doing it on you your own terms, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, because it's you know, it's like that. Okay, that's you know, yeah, I'm probably going to make a lot of money to do that, and maybe that day will come where I have to make that concession. But uh, the goal really is to to not have to do that. And was it, a friend of mine was like going on about Tim Ferriss. He always goes on about Tim Ferriss, and is a friend I know locally, and he's like. Well, you know, you should listen to this episode with Jamie Foxx if you have like an hour or two in a, in a car ride. And I was like, dude, the goal is to not have to drive an hour or two. <laughs> like, I don't have an hour. To, like, I don't really listen to a lot of podcasts because I don't drive. My, I only like I use my car maybe once a week. Well, usually once a week to go play hockey. That's it. <laughs> Wait until you can order that online as well. You just send yourself. Send, we could create a, a Joe Droid. <laughs> They'll just pick me up and drop yeah. me, drop me off at wherever I need to be, and then like an Uber. Well, if I lived in the city, I probably wouldn't even have a car, and and I honestly, I'd probably might go outside more often. Well, but, you'd have to. All my, you know what's funny is you'd have to. My we, neighbors here. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, no, Mark. that's cool. I was just saying you'd have to in the city because that's where all the cool stuff happens outside. But yeah, sorry, you were saying your neighbor. No. Oh yeah, it's funny because my neighbors are all retired around me in this neighborhood. Pretty much all of them. They probably think you are as well because you never leave the house. I know. Well, actually, before we got on the call, I was looking across the street because my neighbors, they always sit out on their porch and I go and talk. They're like my grandparents. And uh, 
you know, it's great, but they don't they don't understand. They got pensions. They've been retired for like 15 years already, and they're not even they're like 70. Brilliant. Yeah, they've got yeah, it going so on. They they do they do, and I, I'm gonna get there. I'm gonna get there. I'm getting there, <laughs> man. Like I said, I'm I haven't made a ton of money yet, but we're I'm I'm now I'm, I'm focusing on the making the money part because that's that's what's especially with with Ava on the way. It's important. So. Well, congratulations on that. We said it on the pre-interview chat, but congratulations on uh, Ava's. When when's Ava due? Thank you. Uh, in March, March fifteenth is the official date. Oh, excellent! Well, congratulations. Get the last Christmas um, out of the way without child, and then it gets really fun. So, yeah, congratulations! Thank you. So, I love that. Yeah, if you if you want to follow that, me, I actually talked Melissa into doing a uh, podcast. We have a podcast based around. Uh, it's called Birth. It's a documentary. Um, we record the conversations between ourselves and record our conversations with our family members and friends, uh, and then we interweave it into like a like a uh what's that like this american life type story oh nice you're like the startup or the serial of uh, parenthood yes yes so it's called birth uh you can go to birthpodcast.com to to check out there's uh i don't know i think it's like episode 17 comes out tomorrow or comes out wednesday oh that's cool well usually it comes out every wednesday (laughs) oh that is sweet man no check that out and actually that's a good place to ask you uh where is the best place for everyone else to connect online with you superjoepardo.com obviously I should have known that take Joe Pardo <laughs> stick the word super on it boom <laughs> I, I, I feel like I you know it's one of those things where it's like I wouldn't say it if I didn't feel that I deserved it or that I worked I work hard enough to deserve it I love that it, man know? I love things like that so one of uh, it's it's important one of my friends Dan who's been on the, the show uh, he uh, you guys listening will know him from Hacksaw he's got a, a URL fancy Dan I just think that's amazing. Just go for it. Super Joe. I need something. Maybe Superior Mark, like Superior Spider-Man. I might get something like that, Joe. Yeah, there you go, man. Uh, (laughs) Well, just get get Super Mark. Oh, Super Mark. Imagine that, though. Mississippi. Imagine the ribbon that I'd get for that. I'd get so much grief and uh, comedic, humorous (laughs) abuse for getting supermark.com. But maybe I create a website and then release it and then tell her afterwards so she, she can't stop me then. That's it. There you go. You're already in process. That is my well. That's to, my that's my time off at Christmas. Word. Done. <laughs> Super stuff. Well, man, this has been amazing. We don't normally leave it recording so long, so I've really enjoyed this. We uh, we've covered a heck of a lot. So thanks so much, man. I really, really have enjoyed that. Thank you, Mark. And if anybody wants to reach out, talk about process or business or anything like that, um, I have the I, the school. You can get to school from there. I do five other podcasts other than other than birth. Uh, all that stuff. So yeah, I would love to reach out. Facebook, uh, Facebook message me. I'm I'm out there. Awesome, love it, man. Thank you so much. And guys, uh, we've left it running for a lot longer, which has been amazing. I've really enjoyed that. So uh, give us some feedback on that if you like the format. We'll uh, we'll perhaps f- throw a few more of those in. And everything that Joe mentioned and I have spoken about will be available at excellence-expected. Dot com. So check it out. There's a lot of freebies over there as well. We're coming up to Christmas as we're recording this. So we're going to ch- chuck out a pile of freebies. We've got ebooks, we've got video series, we've got all sorts over at excellence-expected.com. So thanks for spending this time with us. And don't forget, guys, the more you expect from yourself, the more you will excel. Adios. <laughs> <laughs>